As far as I'm concerned, Advent is just a reason to uh, meander around in the book of Isaiah, because I just love the book of Isaiah. It's often been called the Gospel of Isaiah. So Isaiah 25, 8 and 9 is our text this morning. Um, and just for if you weren't here last week or if you need a reminder, we are doing an Advent series, four weeks for Advent. Um, and my thought was amid a, an unsure and painful season in our life broadly and in our church life specifically, I'd focus on the promises of God and specifically four needs that we have as people and how the promises of God and Jesus meet those needs. And last week we talked about sin, sin and wrath and how Jesus came to save us from sin. Uh, this week we'll be talking about death, our need and the result of sin, which is death. Next week we'll talk about our separation from God, and the following will be our broken world. Um, so, And the overarching theme of this whole series is the promises of God, and, and in particular the covenant of grace, and that, that big promise in Scripture, I will be your God and you will be my people. So that's uh, where we're headed today. So we're going to look at um, death and how God deals with death in Isaiah 25, 8 and 9. So let's pray and then we'll get into the, the text. Our Father, as we do approach this uh, somewhat uncomfortable topic of death this morning, uh, give us wisdom. Give us clarity, we ask. Give us illumination to understand your words so that we would be equipped to reckon with this truly great foe in our lives. We praise and thank you for our Savior, Jesus, who has taken all aspects of the curse upon himself in order to vanquish our foes. May we learn more and more each day to invest all our trust in him. In his name we pray. Amen. Isaiah 25, 8 through 9 will stand for the reading of God's word. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Amen. This is God's word. I had a high school friend named Clay. He was kind of more, not, not inner circle friend, but a, a good acquaintance friend. Um, and several years after we graduated high school, I got a text, I think, that he had died in a car accident. Probably 20 years old, uh, Air Force young man. Uh, and prior to that, in Clay's parents' lives, his older sister, when she was two, died in a choking accident. Some families are just hit with tragedy. Um You'd see Clay's parents around town from time to time, and I knew them, and it seemed like there was always that hurt in their eyes and never went away. Some of you have been have, have received similar painful providences, whether recently or, or in the distant past. And in moments like these, again, as we talked about last week, we need a sure grounding. 
As we talked last week, we need to have uh, a solid ground amid the turmoil that is in our world. And, and last week I used the illustration of who would, who would hire uh, an engineer to build an oil rig platform for, and, and who only designed these things for calm seas. Well, something like a tragic death is like the tsunami wave in our lives. Those are the big waves. We need especially sure ground in those seasons of sorrow. So my prayer is that this message on the problem of death and our need from rescue of it will cause us in really what has been a season of death for our family, for our church family, for the valley for the world at large, um, to, to sink our roots deeper into the soil of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's always our hope. So the outline for really each of these Advent sermons is, is need, promise, and fulfillment. So this morning the need is death, the promise is the messianic day, and the fulfillment is, of course, Jesus, the Messiah. So the, the need, death, uh, really this topic is a neglected topic. We don't like to talk about it. It's been been relegated to the, the corners in our society. Uh, there's an interesting book entitled On Killing, the uh, Psychological Cost of Learning to Kill and War in Society by Dave Grossman. And he, the, in the beginning of this book, he points out, he's, why, why would we talk about this? And he says, throughout history, man has been surrounded by close personal death and killing when family members died of disease lingering injury or old age they died in the home when they died anywhere close to home their corpses were brought to the house or cave or hut or hovel and prepared for burial by the family he goes on to say a little bit later that the housewife who wanted to kill a chicken for dinner or wanted to cook chicken for dinner went out and wrung the chicken's neck herself or had her children do it (laughs) The, the point is we're less acquainted with death in our face than we used to be as a society. It has become sanitized. It is the pain we're, we're not supposed to mention. A person dies and we sort of seem to, for some odd reason, expect them to be over it in a week or two or a month. When every testimony I've ever heard is that there is always a hole that will never be filled. At the same time, as we've lost sight of the reality of death, we've also become enamored with it, and we fantasize about it. Grossman again says, Yet at the same time our society represses killing, a new obsession with the depiction of violent and brutal death and dismemberment of humans has flourished. Also, Albert Moeller, he likes to talk quite often about the culture of death in which we live, and he points to the 20th century, which was really the most genocidal, murderous, war-laden century in human history, and he goes on to add, um, in the last half century we have seen nothing less than the perfection of death through modern warfare, the exercise of total war, the use of civilians as human shields and pawns, aerial bombardment of civilian communities, chemical warfare, the use of landmines against civilians, the rise of nuclear weapons with the great threat even of the neutron bomb, the first weapon in human history designed to kill human beings while leaving structures standing. We have seen in this half century life denied and life annihilated, and the culture of death has not just come in the form of warfare, as brutal and costly as that has been. 
He goes on to point out the, the pinnacle, really, of the culture of death, which is the complete neglect of the sanctity of life in the womb, in abortion. So we have a strange relationship with death in our society, one which simultaneously refuses to talk candidly about it and also celebrates its gore. We refuse to acknowledge its actual presence, but we, we relish it as a sort of sterile fantasy. So needless to say, we're, we're confused about death in our society. We don't know what to do with it. We fear it, and so we trivialize it and mock it. As Grossman says, he says, we've both repressed and obsessed over death. And death actually is one area where Christians can be most helpful in a confusing time because we have answers about death. We know its origin. We know its scope. We know its ultimate fate. So we can really answer some questions about death. So what is death, really? Death really is the consequence of the fall. It is the curse as a result from the fall. It's really a, a great foe for humanity. And the last foe to be conquered. Um, you've often heard the phrase, the circle of life. Things die, things are reborn, things die, things are reborn. It's natural, right? You go up to somebody at a funeral and you say, I'm sorry for your loss. And they say, it's part of life. <laughs> you kind of get what they're saying, but no, it's not a part of life. It's death. It's the opposite of life. It's unnatural. It's not supposed to be here. As Michael was talking about in Sunday school this morning, we kind of lose sight of the fact that the things that are just, it's the water the frog is, is boiling in. Death is unnatural. It's not supposed to be here. It is a result of the fall of man into sin, and it's quite literally a curse on humanity as a result of sin. And death is the just wages for our sin. Um, and it is a foe, a bitter, angry foe. We should think of it that way. It's not a respecter of persons. It doesn't matter from the womb to the nursing home. There's no sanctuary safe from this foe. And it clings on to the bitter end. It will always be a part of our existence until Christ comes back. Um, Paul says that it is the last enemy to be destroyed. So death is quite literally, pardon the pun, a mortal enemy. And it hurts. It's painful. Uh, I told you a while back, my friend, best buddy as I was little, um, died. And I hadn't seen him for 10 years, but... Man, it hurt. <laughs> that love was still there, and it, it hurt. Uh, Kelly's grandparents just died. We counted up nine people since we've moved here in her family. Um, you all have people from your past you're thinking of right now, and it makes our hearts hurt, and particularly pointedly, Jim and, and Stanley are gone. And I'm sorry if this feels like a bit of a scraping out of the wound, but sometimes that's necessary for healthy healing. It's painful. Death is painful, and it's okay. It's proper to admit that. There's something wrong with us if we don't admit that. The Shorter Catechism asks, Into what estate did the fall bring mankind? The answer is, The fall brought mankind into an estate of sin and misery. I like the forthrightness. Misery. <laughs> 
two questions later, it asks, what is the misery of that estate wherein two men fell? And it answers, all mankind by their fall lost communion with God, are under his wrath and curse, and so made liable to all the miseries of this life, to death itself, and to the pains of hell forever. Uh, I get that this is not a very peppermint and mistletoe Advent sermon so far. Uh, and I'm getting to the happy parts, I promise. But I want us to feel even just a small part of the weight of the reality of death in our lives, that we should confront this thing straight on. Death is not trivial. I mean, the deaths of the people we love mark major intersections of our lives. It's a significant theological reality because it's one of the chief consequences of sin. And if there's one thing, one horrific thing we can't control, no matter how hard we try, we can postpone it, but we cannot control it is death. It's, it's coming after us. So dealing with these realities head on is the best thing we can do because in confronting a foe we cannot defeat ourselves, we are driven to God for hope. Which leads us to the second point, which is the promise. The promise of the messianic day of the Lord. Do you remember, if you were here last week from Isaiah 53, uh, verse 5, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. With his wounds we are healed. Now, this is primarily talking about healing from sin, right? Sometimes people abuse this text and say, if you believe in Jesus, you'll be healed from all your ailments. But it's primarily talking about healing from sin, but also more than that, all of the consequences of sin, everything that's wrong with humanity will be healed by the stripes of Jesus. Uh, Alec Motyer, who has a great commentary on Isaiah, he says, Isaiah uses healing in a total sense, the healing of the person, restoring fullness and completeness, a mark of the messianic day. I like that line, a mark of the messianic day. Because that's where our hope is, the messianic day. Uh, my first year of seminary, I think it was 2011, 2012, we were living in the upper A-frame. So there's this old A-frame cabin with two living quarters in it, and we lived upstairs, this tiny little space. But uh, I remember one day thinking, I need to memorize some scripture, and, but I, I don't feel very motivated to, to memorize scripture. So, of course, you, you go find a John Piper sermon to kind of guilt you into motivation. Uh, so I found one where he was telling me that the devil was a roaring lion and I better gear up. <laughs> it worked. It motivated me. So I decided I'd love First Peter. I'll memorize First Peter chapter 1. Um, you know, it takes time, it takes effort and repetition sometimes to work truths into our soul. And that's one of the great things about memory work is it does that. And finally, one day it hit me, uh, verse 13. Uh, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You've heard me bring this up over and over again because this has been probably... The closest thing to to my life verse, if you will. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I've been pestering people with that verse ever since I got excited about it. And I remember pestering my brother, 
bro, are are you putting your hope fully in the, in the revel- in the grace that will be brought to you? You know, uh, but I'll continue to pester people with it. The reason I found it to be so helpful is it's so amb- unambiguous and so practical. I mean, now I know where my thoughts are supposed to be. I'm to have my mind on heavenly things. Now I know what to throw myself into, heavenly things. Now I know whatever happens to me, good or bad, they will only ever be memories of my temporary exile. That's what this life is, a temporary exile. Now I know that the driving motivation behind every last thought and deed should be the inheritance, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for me, that will be given to me at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the goal. That's the prize that we strive toward. And we receive it not in this exilic life, but in the homeland, the place of inheritance, when Jesus returns. It's unambiguous and very practical. Set your hope fully. And it is the healing that we are promised on that great day, the messianic day when Jesus comes back that gives us hope and comfort in the face of our great foe, death. Which is is the context of this passage we read at the start. Um, Judah is in exile in Babylon and chapter 25 is a psalm of, of hope about this day, the day of restoration. And the ultimate hope is, is not just to return to Jerusalem for the people of, of Judah, but the final day of the Lord, the Messianic day, the one day when, he, when Jesus comes back. So again, we'll read it again, Isaiah 25, 8 and 9. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. You notice three things, three afflictions that are part of this exile life that will be done away with on that day. Um, Death, tears, and reproach from that verse 8. Death, tears, and reproach. So the reproach part is the people of God at, at this point in Isaiah are... Reproached. They're people in exile. They're very lowly. They're in a foreign and hostile land. And of course, by their own doing, because God had promised that if they didn't obey the covenant, they would be exiled. In the same way, we as Christians are reproached. We are in a lowly place of exile. There will come a day when we're brought back to the glory of the, the homeland, where our enemies will be crushed and we'll be at home. So that's the reproach. And then the second is uh, the Lord God will wipe away tears from all the faces. So you can imagine exiles, people remembering home, remembering lost loved ones, weeping over loss, mourning sin, uh, just aching for redemption to, to go back. Psalm 137 is a good picture of this. Verse 1, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. This is not our homeland. We, we want to go back. So the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. On that day, the great day of the Messiah, all sorrow will be replaced with joy. Another great text on this, Isaiah 35.10 
And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This imagery of of wiping away tears is really beyond comparison. That the God of heaven and earth, who's been really the the object of all of our scorn and rebellion, is the very same one who's wiping away the tears. Matyar again, he says, the exalted title Sovereign Lord calls attention to the fact that in all the dignity of this divine sovereignty, it is the Lord himself who will attend to our tears, moving from person to person until each person's tear is dried. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Then finally, he will swallow up death forever. Um, this is an idiom, swallow up, and it's used quite frequently in Scripture. Uh, you think of Pharaoh's dream when the, the thin ears of corn were swallowed up by the plump ears, or um, when Moses was dealing with, with Pharaoh's magicians and he had his staff, and they, they turned them into snakes, and then uh, Moses' snake swallows up the snakes of the magicians, or when Jonah is swallowed up by the whale. But it's also a military term for military victory. One example of this is Second Samuel 17, uh, dealing with the, the conflict with the, between David and Absalom. And, and someone says, Now therefore send quickly and tell David, Do not stay tonight at the fortress of the wilderness, but by all means pass over, at least the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. Just utterly crushed, demolished. It's a military victory. So this last enemy, death, will be swallowed up, defeated, swallowed up forever, as thin ears swallowed by plump ears. Eternal life will stand in the place of death. And this is our ultimate hope as Christians. Uh, though we are each one of us bitten by the fangs of death, if you will, there, there's no venom in that bite anymore for us. And even death is not final for those who are in Christ. The sting of death is gone. It has been removed. Because the Lord has swallowed it up in victory. This death that we face is more than the mere pain of sort of temporary relationships with loved ones or the fear of the unknown. Um, death stands as the chief representation of the righteous curse placed on our lives as a result of sin. So really what we're talking about here with the defeat of death is not just sadness, but reconciliation to God. brings us back around to Isaiah 53, verse 5. By his wounds we are healed. Death is swallowed up by the victory of the cross, ultimately. At the cross, the curse was removed. The curse of sin was removed. Even as the serpent in the wilderness was lifted up, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. For it is written, everyone who is hanged on a tree is cursed. It is the penal substitution that we talked about last week on which our freedom from death stands that we're talking about this week. It is his substitution that that vanquished death on our behalf. 
Death has been swallowed up by the cross of Christ. It's, it's the atonement which brings about the death of death. So the day that the Lord Jesus was born in this world, that's what we're talking about, right? Advent, we're talking about death, but we're talking about when he came into this world, it marked the beginning of that great day, the great messianic day of the Lord. The first Christmas morning was the beginning of the end for the curse of death. Which leads to our final point, which is the fulfillment of the promise that we find in Jesus. Uh, one of the conundrums that we have to confront here as we're talking about this is if Jesus conquered death at the cross, why do we still face death? Why do we all die? Why, why do our friends and family die? De- death does not at yet feel very conquered. Death still stings despite the promise that it is swallowed up. This is the the phenomenon which theologians call the already and not yet, or the the initiation and consummation of the covenant. We are in the season of the already not yet. So death has received its its devastating fatal blow, but it's not gone yet. Death is bleeding out, if you will. So in terms of the already, uh, I think of the Super Bowl, uh, you know, one team is way up. They have the ball. They're kind of just kneeling out the clock. They, they've already won. So sometimes the team members will throw the Gatorade on the coach before the clock has run out. That's the kind of victory we're talking about here. We have it. We know it. But it's not yet consummated. This is not intended to be a gloomy sermon, even though it's a painful topic. We have a great deal to rejoice over in this life. We can celebrate. We can dump Gatorade on the coach. We've won. We can hug our buddies and jump up and down like giddy children because we know beyond a shadow of of, of doubt that the victory has been won by the cross. The fatal blow has been dealt. 2 Timothy 1.10 tells us of the already, where it says, God's own purpose and grace has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who, past tense, abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. It's happened. We have it through Jesus. And again, Hebrews 2.14 and 15 tells us about the already. Since therefore the children of children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. There it is, is again, since we share in flesh and blood, there's the incarnation. And then his death purchased our deliverance from death. It's already past tense, it's already happened. Another sports analogy for you. It, it, often the fans of two teams will kind of you know banter back and forth. And sometimes the, the losing team, out of frustration, will start to try to taunt the winning team, which is a foolish idea, right? Because what's the response? Scoreboard, right? Scoreboard. We've won. We can say that to the devil. We can say that to death. Scoreboard when it gets in our face, right? Praise God. It's finished. We've won. We celebrate that fact. That's the true joy as we grieve lost loved ones. 
Yes, the, the, the fact that we will see them again is comforting, but I think perhaps more comforting, it, it, there's no doubt in our minds that they have received the life of immortality. They've passed through the veil of death. Death has not had the final word on Jim. He's alive. On Stanley, he's alive. Ina Joe and Alan, they're alive. They have life and immortality which will never be taken away from them. And they sit now in the presence of the glory of the Father. And and quite honestly, (laughs) I'm jealous. But there's also more. There's a great deal more to come. Many good things to come when Jesus comes back. It gets better. The, the clock will finally run out and we'll all run out on the field and, and, and the enemy will slump off into the locker room, right? So the not yet. We've talked about the already. The not yet, 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty six. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. It's still there. It needs to be finally destroyed. We're still waiting for the destruction It's bleeding out, but we're waiting for its heart to stop. Paul goes on in that same chapter in 1 Corinthians 15 to tell us when this is going to happen. In verse 54, uh, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, when the imperishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. When it comes to pass, then it shall come to pass. The resurrection, this is the hope of the resurrection, that day when death is finally beaten, it breathes its last breath. Our bodies are created anew and we're restored in the fullness of life. Body and soul in the presence of God. Then death will be crushed and swallowed up forever. I mean, we often don't think about that. Sure, death doesn't have a a claim on our, our spirits, But it doesn't have an eternal claim on our bodies either. We will be raised to newness of life in our bodies. (laughs) And again, it will not be a mere sports victory. Death will not actually slump off the field. Uh, This will be a military victory. Jesus, with his foot on the neck of his foe, will put him to death. So Revelation 20.14, the death, uh, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. That's the ultimate fate of death. Death will die. I steal that death of death from John Owen. Michael's been teasing me about calling me things, (laughs) which I requested. (laughs) The final consummation of things will come to pass. The lingering sorrows that persist in our exile life Uh, despite the joys of knowing the final outcome. These sorrows persist, but we know an end will come, and only joy will remain. That's the promise in in Revelation 21.4. For he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things will have passed away. That's our hope. That's the, the glory of our hope as Christians. So this Christmas season, as, as we confront the, the truly grievous sorrow of absence of, of those who we, we have loved, and we should grieve. This is not like a be happy and get over it sermon. Right? We should grieve. Grief is appropriate. Remember the beginning. Death is a foe. We should grieve. But we should not grieve as Christians as those who have no hope. 
Our hope is set fully on that day, the great messianic day, when it will be finally and completely true that he will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. And it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Amen. Please praise God.